Our scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of Philippians, verses 27 through 30. It's uh, page 980 on your, in your pew Bible. Let's give attention to God's word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. This is clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw and I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. First, I want to say I appreciate, uh, I always like to be here. There are plenty of people in this church that have loved me very well. And so every time I get the opportunity to come here, I'm excited about it. Uh, My family's not with me, like we're always doing stuff. My wife is singing in Jackson at Redeemer this morning. I don't think she was thinking about, I wasn't thinking about Father's Day, to be completely honest. So I don't fault her for that at all. Um, But yeah, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to preach, but also to be with people that I know love Jesus and to be before them and with them is just an absolute pleasure. I do want to say this. Um, I was thinking, like, I talked to my dad this morning, and it's really kind of crazy that I'm a preacher uh, when it comes to, like, I remember my dad talking about this office a lot, like the office of bishop. But I also remember my dad always talked about, uh, like, rejoicing and suffering. I thought one of the craziest things in the world was that this Christian man was always talking about suffering. But I was telling him this morning, I think I really understand what he means. Like, last year was the absolute worst year of my life. This has been a crazy year, 2023. I think this is why, like, that's why this is my focus. Uh, So... I praise the Lord for the opportunity to preach this. And I want to say this too, wayfaring pilgrim, that makes me feel like, oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> if you know that movie. Like, it's, it's, like I had like nerves and all sorts of stuff. Me hearing that song literally made me feel like I'm, it almost made me feel like I'm in Winona, Mississippi. So it kind of brought me where I need to be. Philippians chapter one, there are a bunch of different things that I could say about this. Um, The way that I read this text now is almost as if verse 30 is before verse 27 because of just the necessity of believing and suffering for the Christian. So I almost want to treat it that way, focusing on verse number 30 uh, or 29 actually, but not not making this text odd for you. Um, One of the things that I read this guy that I, I read this guy talking about this. So he talked about how Paul is sometimes angry, it seems, uh, perturbed, bunches of different things that you can find Paul being in his writings. But then he says, when you get to Philippians, it's really interesting because Paul is almost like you, you should say, not Paul the warrior, which uh, could be a description of him in some cases, but Paul the optimist. He said that Paul operates very much like an optimist here and that there's this joy umbrella 
all this stuff that you read, his condition and his situation and the circumstances, they fall underneath this joy umbrella. So I want us to be thinking about it all the time that way. What that looks like for him is what it may look like for somebody else. Like your life as it has been known may include a bunch of stuff that a bunch of people wouldn't think could be remedied. It could include plenty of shame, uh, rebellion, disappointment with God, which I think a lot of people don't like to admit. But it's pretty interesting that at the beginning of this book, Paul, as he describes himself, he describes himself as servant of Christ, which is certainly layered in the hearing of plenty of people. This man that some of them have known as arrogant, selfish. When we do that stuff, you know how close we are to Satan, Satan, who I call Satan the bootlegger. I always say Satan the bootlegger. It's how I teach my children. Like there are plenty of pleasures that you'll have that will feel very good, but that's bootleg pleasure. It just is. There will be plenty of things that will seemingly make you glad, but it's a lie. It's bootleg. It's what he does. He has a massive desire to be that. And in this interesting way, this man is almost working to the gladness of Satan probably when we meet him. This guy, Paul. But he's the opponent turned servant at this point. And he's been serving God's people for quite a while, writing letters to God's people. He's writing this letter to this church in Philippi, which I think may have been the first church actually uh, I think it was Europe that guy said. He said that this church is actually the one, maybe the only, that's used as a model for others. So these people kind of have this responsibility. Paul understands what's going on in that church, the faithfulness of the people in that church, the encouragement that comes from that, how that joy is always circling. So in what does Paul ground this letter? I think if you look at what his life has been, what he sees in the presence of these people's lives, what we know, those of us that are Christian, is this letter is grounded in grace. What Paul is saying to these people is really this, grace, 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 oh, you're suffering grace, oh, you're happy grace, oh, your children are acting crazy grace, oh, you got promoted grace, oh, you're doing well grace, you know much. I think my son thinks I know the entire Bible. I'm not going to tell him I don't. <laughs> what I'm going to tell him is grace. I have received grace from God. This letter is grounded in it. The grace of Christ and in Christ. The specific manner of the life of Christians. There's a man named John Owen. This is one of my absolute favorite things to say. I remember the first time that I ever saw this quote. As a matter of fact, it's on a site called Monergism um, that has tons of resources for Christians. It says, to suppose that whatever God requires of us, we have the power of ourselves to do, is to make the cross and grace of Jesus Christ of non-effect. 
If you want to act in a way that would almost say that the cross and the grace of Jesus are nothing, then you should act as if what God requires you can do. And Paul knows that these people can't. He knows that he cannot. I know that I cannot. I think it's a very, very, very important thing before he goes into what he's about to go into with them because suffering is very real for the Christian. And so it's pretty easy at times to assume the position of prayer when they're suffering. Like, Jesus, I need your cross. I need your effect. I need your grace. But sometimes that thing kind of goes away when things are up. But the truth of the matter, biblically in the Bible, is always teaching this. The only way that we believe is grace. When Jesus says to that lady, your faith has made you whole, he's really saying the faith that God gave you has made you whole, not the faith that she showed up with. It's not this conjuring thing. Like, how can I conjure enough faith for the Lord to notice my need and then provide for me. It's the opposite of that. He's watching and he's saying, I will now give more grace every morning to handle those things. There are two things I really want us to think about. Like this is hopefully to be a serious encouragement to you if you are a Christian especially. The first one is the, traje the trajectory of the Christian life is of believing and suffering. That's the trajectory. It may feel like it's going, you know, like being transparent. I regularly feel like my Christian life is doing this. Recently, it's kind of felt like it's, it went here and then it just, it's going here. I was driving here thinking, why would I be worthy to preach? And I mean, like, I'm thinking that, and I've prepared to say all the stuff I just said to you. That's what this world feels like at times. Life and death, Paul says. All of us are familiar with it. The trajectory of the Christian life is of believing and suffering. Our lives of faith will more than certainly include rejoicing and hardship. What I think Paul does here, if you look at verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The word life there, there's this Greek word, verb there that's really kind of weird in the composition of it. Essentially what it's saying is you could say this, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because that word is, one, like one of the roots of that word is a word pollen, pollen. I'll say this word to you and see if you can hear citizenship. Police. <laughs> There's this police situation going on and what this verb means. It's almost like policing your own life which you should, find, you should find very quickly you cannot do. And so you find yourself dependent on someone to police for you. It's a, citizen, a citizenship, like state. Your citizenship, your state. Ours is in heaven, but we're here. 
So what's notable here is that if it's true that, that our trajectory is believing and suffering, if that's true, it should be exciting in this way. That suffering part ends for the Christian. Imagine two people standing together, one of them is believer, one of them is unbeliever, and they're hearing this person saying to this person, yeah, 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 you're called to believing for the sake of Christ and to suffering for the sake of Christ. And they're looking at each other. Because we know this, all of us are suffering. Not all of us are believing, but all of us are suffering in some sort of way, whether it be minute or grand. That unbeliever suffering and they're looking at that Christian, I have cousins and I'll say homeboys. I know a lot of people that watch my suffering and are like, what's going on? Where is Jesus? This, is, this, this happens every time something happens to somebody in the class, from the class that I graduated high school with. Everybody calls me. And for those of y'all that don't know, nobody calls me Anthony. Like, everybody calls me Paul, P-A-W. It's what Les calls me. Everybody calls me and says, Paul, what's happening? What's going on? And I always have to say we're all going to be enduring and seeing suffering. But that unbeliever is going to go deeper into it in a very different sort of way. There is massive encouragement in the reality that, yes, we are believing, we are suffering, but our suffering will end. It's been granted to us, though, right now. One of the strongest witnesses I've ever experienced of the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ was in Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's just unreal to me at times what people will do because of their suffering to celebrate their Savior. I think he gives us power to do it. I think the Spirit of Christ enables us to do it. I do not think that it's a thing that we should overlook. I grew up in a Christian context. My parents were believers. I grew up thinking that the craziest thing possible could be like a Christian suffering. How could God love someone that he would allow to suffer? And when I first believed the gospel, I believe, was when I realized that he didn't protect his son from it. It's a penetrating thing that he didn't protect his son from suffering. If this amount of people, from this amount of people, someone's going to be suffering and always having the advantage of looking at the Christ, it becomes an extremely employable thing. What's really, really, really cool about God is He's not limited by the stuff. All of us are surrounded by stuff, these things. What is pain doing to you? What is suffering doing to you? Also, what is good doing to you? What is believing doing to you? I think we know this. It's really easy to separate these two things and to see believing as good, similar to the way that, so this is the way that I think people probably operate maybe regularly. 
You ever heard the good, the bad, and the ugly? This just, it popped into my mind, so. I think people kind of look at it this way, like the good is, you know, suffering's over there. If you see somebody at Kroger or whatever, how you doing? Like most of the time, if the situation's good, they're like, I'm good. But there's suffering over there that's not mine. That's, so me here, good, and suffering over there is good to plenty of people. It gets bad if it comes close to them, though. And so my son is sick. I feel the bad. But then there's the ugly. When I'm sick. When I'm doubting. When I'm rebellious and I feel it, like the ugly is here. What do we do with those realities? The easiest thing possible, my wife has said this multiple times, regardless of if you want to or not, contact the Lord. It's a beautiful thing when those people that are in regular communion and fellowship with the Lord are around and you notice that they move from their ugly to other people's good. Like that's not good for me that somebody's over there. I wanna go toward it. And it feels weird, especially to 13 year olds and 17 year olds. Every time this person comes around, it's Jesus. Let's pray, let's, I think it means way more than we talk about. Think of the people next to you or the people in this room that you know that walk with the Lord and how hard their suffering can be, but how they may be called to it. It's not always pleasurable. I think he couples these things, though, to paint a real-life picture. That's what that citizenship is. Paul is talking to these people about, like, look at your lives. Yeah, you're a citizen of heaven. But you're not there right now. Don't be ashamed of what's hurting you. It's actually beautiful because for you, if you're a Christian, it's life. It's not just bad and ugly. A marred Christ is a very grotesque picture. But we know what comes from that picture. The necessity, the book of Acts actually says this is, this is God's plan for his son. So these people are familiar with this. I don't know that they would see these things this way, like the way that necessarily modern people might see it. I have no idea. But what I do know is there are good and bad things in their lives, and Paul is bringing them and pushing them through that. So good, for instance, in verse 21, he's already said before this part of the passage, for me to live is Christ. Sounds good. Verse 1, servants of Christ Jesus. Everybody wants to be called that if they're Christian. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, everybody wants to be referred to as a saint, a holy one, if they are in Christ Jesus. We love that reality. We feel that reality. We sing about it. Where I'm from, they dance. Like that wayfaring pilgrim? Man, some, somebody would have been running. 
It feels fantastic to feel protected, seen, embraced. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of us. I thought about this when I first read this passage this past week. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, I'm always glad to come here. When I started to work for RUF at Jackson State University, one of the first churches that I saw that has regularly partnered with this ministry is this church. I remember in that other building, the first time I came there having a conversation with Les, like, bro, it's crazy, I'm in here. This is crazy. I met Richard Pratt at that church. Heard him talking about this group of people in a way that I did not know yet. It feels good what God is doing amongst us because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he, began, that, he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Feels really good to know that it's going to be completed. And you're probably regularly not thinking about how. The Lord is going to give difficult circumstances to his people. We all feel it right now, even if we don't say it. You ever been in a coffee shop and Christians are talking and then one of them starts to whisper? We know where we at. You ever been a young person and have real, true, almost tangible faith in Jesus, but... You go to whatever school you go to. We suffer regularly. My wife and I were talking about recently how there are things allowed on the television now where some people's faith is protected. Like America's protecting some people's faith. America's not protecting ours. You can make fun of us in front of everybody. But the Lord is going to complete your journey. That's what Paul's telling these people. Who you are cannot be tampered with even by the worst of circumstances. So as we are ridiculed or whatever, we stand firm as he says that he hopes these people are doing, standing firm in the midst of all of these things. There is good, but there is also bad. The trajectory is believing and suffering. The second part of verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In somebody's situation discussing or conversing about their faith, you almost want to say, this. Oh, don't talk about death, though. Let's just, you know, let's talk about the life part. Life is really good. Let's talk about a fellowship meal. Let's talk about praying together. I don't want to talk about losing anyone. A 
another bad, verse 27, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. There's already been a sort of swelling enthusiasm built on seeing Paul. If you look at the previous verses, verse 21, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I think these people are definitely ready to rejoice at seeing Paul, but then right after he writes, I might not make it. the loneliness of the Christian. This is a people, but this applies to the individual. The loneliness that can happen in this faith. When the ones that seem strong are not around, what do we do? There is reason for these people to fret. They admire this man. We admire this man in 2023. He was an extremely faithful person, saying stuff that I don't think I would ever say out loud because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Not that I don't have faith, but I think it is otherworldly sometimes some of the things that Paul really, really, really believes and is saying. These people are afraid, and he wants them to know that that's a part of it. It was said in her earlier, someone has already lost their father and they may have known an extremely faithful person. And the rest of your life as a Christian might be with suffering because of that. And it's not because you don't think that Jesus redeems. And it's not because you think too much about your father. You know, some people are going to say, just let it go. It's, it's been 10 years. It could very well be a part of your life, that knot in your heart from that loss. I think he wants them to go that far in their thinking because that's matched with the believing. The only thing that will ever truly remedy your heartache is faith. You could drink till you fall out and then you're gonna wake up and not. If you don't have faith, Everything that we do, this is what I'm, I, I constantly try to teach this to my children. Don't find the bootleg one. Satan is satisfied with us finding the bootleg. The real and true faith given from God is the one that carries us this way. The imperatives of the gospel, how we should live are based on the indicatives of our relationship with Christ already established by his grace. The trajectory of the Christian life is of believing. It has been granted to us to believe, but it's also of suffering. We will most assuredly suffer. Secondly, very quickly, the Christian's life is a shared one. 
I have a friend in Memphis. Um, this week at General Assembly, I called to check on them, see how they were doing. Her husband didn't answer, so I called her. We talked for probably 45 minutes or so. We talked about very difficult stuff. I told her I was going to say this, but I'm not going to say her name. At one point in the conversation, she said this to me, and I said, ooh, that's strong. And she was like, I know. This is what she said. Woundedness is something we share for sure. All of us are familiar with woundedness. Paul says this in verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When he says life in 27, he's continuing that. All of this is about life. This is about the life of the Christian, the life of this man, the life of these people. He's talking about his present circumstances. He says, if you're watching me and it looks like I'm hurting in moments and you're wondering how is he still carrying his faith, I'm not carrying, I'm being carried. So get ready because it's headed your way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. It's a joy for us and it looks weird to the world to hear Romans chapter 5, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worth worthy of, comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Matthew writes about it and talks about how the kingdom had suffered violence. If you're a Christian, suffering is there and suffering is different. It's always different. Christians are different. There is nothing we can do about it. Sometimes we're cool, most of the time we're not. Sometimes we're welcome. Most of the time, we're not. This region does not welcome real Christianity the way that people... I remember one of my seminary professors used to say this, there's no Bible built. There may be a buckle. <laughs> Talk about your faith enough and walk in that light enough and you'll feel this is not New Jerusalem. And you are called to live exactly where you live. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. Our suffering turns. It's why I say the believing and the suffering go together like they're mashed together. That's the whole life. You want the whole life. You don't want like a prosperity life gospel thing. It's not a true life in Christ to preach it. You want the whole thing so that you get these sorts of pleasures and privileges. If one member suffers, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, all suffer together. It's no longer I'm good because the bad is away from me. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What does Paul write that echoes this in our passage? Verse 27, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Us unified is a clear sign of their destruction because they are what Paul previously was, which is arrogant and self-seeking. It's like showing up to a gang fight by yourself. There's a group there standing in unity Satan recognizes this. That unity is unbreakable. That's why he wants to come to you individually. That's why he doesn't want you to gather with the saints for worship on a Sunday morning because it's easier if you're not with them. So we celebrate because we're surrounded by people in that particular way. For those of you in this room that know me, this is not going to be shocking, but I'm so quick to talk about my stuff because of how much help I need. I don't have that sort of prize. Like, like if you ask me, please don't ask me how I'm doing. If I'm like, because I don't always say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I never used to do that. I've always been ashamed to hurt. Especially as I started making good grades and being around people whose, <laughs> whose parents had money and like are taking trips. I was like, man, like this folks ain't gonna be around me if I'm always hurting. I'm about to never be hurting. That's how I probably lived my life from 13 to 25. I don't ever wanna be hurting. One of the greatest privileges of my life is that people know Jesus. It's one of the best things he's ever done for me. There is not a place that I feel I can go anywhere near where I live, maybe even in the state of Mississippi, where I am not protected by the grace of Christ I sincerely believe because Christians are there. I fully know that my Christian life is a shared life. I feel like I got changed from, you remember Mark chapter 5, there's a demoniac. So Jesus and his disciples go across this body of water. One time in a meeting at Jackson State University, this lady asked me, and I knew what she was trying to do because we always suffer. People are like, maybe this wasn't suffering, but... I felt like she was trying to make fun of our faith. I'm only in this meeting because somebody asked me to be in this meeting. I don't want to be in here. This lady looked at me and she was like, yeah, a pastor. What would you say to a student about what they mean to the university? I was like, I don't know what the student means to the university. I know what they mean to Jesus. I said in Mark chapter 5, Jesus went across a body of water, healed a demoniac, and went straight back. I would say the only reason he went over there was for that one person. That's what I'm going to talk to the student about. You could call it retention if you want to. If y'all want to retain people, do what Jesus did. What Jesus told that man, he wanted to go with him, but he didn't permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's what we do. When I was saved, 
Jesus sent me to be among his people, talking to his people. That's what I'm doing right now. Our life is such a shared one. If you are not participating, please let this day be the day that you recognize you should never endure your hardships alone. Rejoice in your believing. Rejoice in your suffering. The end of the aforementioned 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 says, so it goes like this, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, the second part is, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Let's pray. God, thank you for your name. Thank you for your person and your power. Thank you for your ability to be with your people in good and in bad and to combine them and call them good. We know that all things work according to your counsel and your power and your will for good for those that are in your son. As we sing and laugh and have joy, and as we mourn and are taunted, let us have joy. We are yours and we are grateful. In the name of your darling son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.